So glad you're here today. Everybody doing great? Three of you are doing great? All right, I'll speak louder. It was 1993 when a team of archaeologists found it in the dig site of Tel Dan in northern Israel. Before this, skeptics said that his existence was pure myth, it was legend, it was all fabrication, and that he never really existed. They said that the stories about him were fables and never really happened. Until that day in 1993, when a stone from the 9th century B.C. was unearthed and his name was carved in it in perfect Aramaic. Unmistakable evidence that this man really lived and that the stories were true. I'm going to tell you today one of those stories. I'll be brief. It's not his best story. But it's one that he is known for. And if I were him, and this was my story, I would want everybody to forget about it. He is known mostly for two of his stories. and One is a great victory, and one is a great blunder. He single-handedly routed an entire army, and that is his good story. But I want to tell you today about his bad story. I want to tell you about his bad story so that none of us will repeat his blunders. Most people think that he was in his 30s when he made these blunders, but in fact he was in his 50s. In his public life he had served his people with great courage, routed enemy armies, and established the kingdom in strength and stability and peace and prosperity. He had risen from insignificance to become the greatest leader that his people had ever seen and future leaders would compare him to. In his personal life, his kids were grown and out of the house now. He had been a very busy dad, which translated into a very imperfect fatherhood. There were severe sibling rivalries developing and brewing in his own family that would later culminate in the murder and the death in succession of three of his sons. Like many men in their 50s, after they have established their kingdoms in the world of work and raised their families, he too was perhaps struggling to define his role going forward. He certainly didn't spring back from battle quite as quickly anymore. Not too long after this, in one battle against an enemy, he got so exhausted that his generals came to him and said, that's it, you don't fight anymore, you stay home, because somebody is going to kill you. Certainly he noticed that probably more of life was behind him now than ahead of him. 
A classic case of emotional darkness of midlife crisis was settling in on him. With his success, he had built some autonomy. And he began to decide to cash in on that autonomy. And rather than go where everybody was depending on him, and everybody wanted a piece of him, he decided that today I'm going to stay home. And that's when he saw her. She was hot. He, being the king, his terrace was higher than all the other buildings, and he could see over the enclosure in which she was bathing. And man, oh man, did he feel young again. And he used his power to immediately arrange a hookup that developed into a scandal that everyone would find out about and people 3,000 years later are talking about even today. If you're not a Bible reader or you haven't read the Bible in a long time or maybe you wouldn't even be able to find a Bible in your home, you should read this story. You just need to find the Old Testament in the Bible and find the book that's called 2 Samuel and find chapter 11. Go to the table of contents if you need to and find it. Or you can download this in the Bible, which is my favorite download is called Version. I use it every week and sometimes every day of every week. You can download it. In fact, this app has been downloaded now. It's, in, it's just crossed its 10th anniversary and has been downloaded more than 330 million times. That's a lot of devices. I've got it on my iPhone, my iPad, my every iPhone I've got. So King David is 55 when this happened. And he's been ruling over 20 years already. He's not this, sometimes we think he's this sex-crazed young man scoping out naked women over ter tall terraces. But that's not who David was. That's really never who David was. He's on the other side of this era of life by now. And probably dealing with the dark clouds of a midlife crisis. And he's dealing with his own mortality. Bathsheba is the daughter of Eliam, the son of Ahithophel. And those of you that have studied a little bit deeper know that Ahithophel is one of David's greatest advisors. Her husband, Uriah, is one of his best and closest friends, his comrade in battle. He had watched him come up from insignificance as a shepherd boy, and he had had his back every battle along the way. He is one of his most trusted confidants. So we have here a 55-year-old man having an affair with the granddaughter of his closest advisor and the wife 
of his closest battle comrade. Just to put it in perspective, it probably happened over several events, not just one event, probably over several evenings. And then, of course, you probably know the story. I'm pregnant, and you're the dad. And everyone, they didn't need DNA tests. Everyone knew. David certainly knew. He didn't doubt it. He didn't fight it. He didn't contest it. He knew it was him. And now the cover-up begins. David pulls Uriah in from battle where he was fighting, where David should have been. He pulls Uriah into town. And he says, go spend some time with your wife. Wink, wink. And Uriah would have none of it. Because he knew, actually Uriah is more honorable than David in this part of his life. David understands that hardly anybody knew that Uriah refused to have relations with his wife during that time. So he thought, well, if he dies in battle, then I may, the cover-up may just work. And so he sends the memo to Joab, his commander general, and he says, I want you to put Uriah at the front of the battle, and then I want you to draw the troops back from him and leave him alone at the wall, and leave him at the front so that he can be killed. You don't say no to the king. And Joab did as commanded. Uriah was killed. David thought he had it all figured out. And he didn't realize that there were eyes on him. Eyes of some important people in his life. Albeit his sons. Three of them. And if they didn't figure it out then, they figured it out soon. Because it wasn't long before Bathsheba was brought into the home. And she's way pregnant. Nobody can approach the king because everyone is in debt to the king. Because their paycheck comes from the king. Their notoriety comes from their king. Their advancement comes from the king. Everybody is in debt to him. Their reputation, their safety, everything comes from the king. God in His mercy sent a man named Nathan who is probably a converted Canaanite turned prophet. And he was not afraid of David. And he was not afraid to tell him the hard truth. And he did it with such great tact and wisdom, with a story. So there were two men. One had a lot of sheep. One had one lamb. And the rich man saw the one lamb and he wanted that one lamb and killed that lamb. I'm making this short and brief. What would you do, king? The king said, kill him. Nathan said, you're the man. You have offended God. You have offended your country. You are wrong. Confronted him. Point blank.
I have to say this for David. He was a humble person. He humbled himself before Nathan the prophet. He humbled himself before God. He repented, which means that he changed direction. For at least nine months, he had been out of fellowship with God. He was just miserable. And then he came to realization of his own sin, of his own transgression, of his own wrong. And he went to his knees and asked God for forgiveness. And God cleansed him. But how many of you know that consequences of our sin can go on and on? One son, his name was Amnon, the oldest. He rapes the sister of another son. They all had different mothers. And that son retaliates by murdering the first son. That son then rebels against David and loses his life. His name was Absalom. And his other son also rebels against David and Solomon as he becomes king and he is killed. His name's Adonijah. It's all horrid, guys. Read the Bible. It's amazing. It never pulls any punches. It tells you exactly about our humanity and how much we need God. It shows the corruptness. It shows the greatness. Doesn't hold anything back. It's the most interesting. It's the best seller. Always has been. Always will be. And it brings life. If we'll listen to the wisdom that's found in it. Wisdom for our life today. Daily. Every day. But this story is just absolutely horrible. Just horrid. The depths of depravity that David sank to. All these horrible things happen. Because of one horrible decision that David made. And this is it. One decision sent him into a tailspin. David isolated himself from his comrades when he was not supposed to be alone. That's it. Say, well, just being by myself, that's a horrible decision. Can be. The horrible decision to isolate himself from others, the horrible decision to become unreachable, the horrible decision to stay disconnected, the horrible decision to remain detached, the horrible decision to be inaccessible. I'm not mad at you, just passionate. The horrible decision to be unavailable. David got into trouble because he isolated himself from community and allowed no one to have access to his heart, to his soul. David didn't get in trouble because of temptation. There's tons of temptations that he faced every day. Everyone is tempted. David didn't get into trouble because Bathsheba was beautiful. There were lots of beautiful women. David didn't get in trouble because of those things. He got in trouble because he allowed himself to drift into isolation and arranged his life to be inaccessible to others who cared. 
And that's what I want you to take home today. Because you have to ask yourself the question, is it worth it? When a king goes to war with comrades, the nature of conflict forces a king to be accessible to those that are serving him. They know what's going on with the king because they're in battle together. They're bleeding together. They're dying together. They have to be in community. They have to be talking. They have to be accessible and approachable. The battle depends on it. There's a camaraderie that develops when you're in battle with somebody, when you're fighting with somebody. And guys, I want to tell you, you're in a fight. You're in a fight. You're in a fight for your faith every day. You're in a fight for righteousness every day. And we need each other like you have no idea. You have no idea how much you need. You have no idea how, that, how much that person next to you needs you. No idea. It's when you're in the fight that you really appreciate those who've got your back. But David made this horrible decision. I'm not going. What's the use? I want to build a temple and God only wants me to fight. I'm tired of fighting. You ever get that way? I'm tired of fighting. I'm not going to go into battle. I want to build a big building. Well, that was God's design for his son to do later. I'm tired of fighting. I'm going to stay home, watch TV. And what's so ironic about this is that the man who had had his back year after year after year he not only had sex with his wife, he had him killed. Again, David got into trouble because he allowed himself to become unreachable. Unapproachable and unreasonable. No one goes against the king and no one can reach him. No one can reach you unless you let them. Unless you allow Mark shared, take the mask off. It's your choice. No one can force you to do that. I'm telling you here today as a pastor, you need to. You need to let people in. Is it uncomfortable? Yeah, it is. Is it painful sometimes? Yeah, it is. Some of you guys got so much pain in your heart. You're just having trouble getting through it. Because some things have happened in the past in your marriage, in other relationships, in your parental relationships in your church relationships and you got so much pain in there and you won't tell anybody and you know what that does that is incubating some terrible horrible decisions in your life until some healing comes in 
until you're able to open up. Say, you know, I went through that too. Then you hear somebody else say, you know, I got some help. And this is what happened. That's how much we need each other. Maybe you just get together for coffee. That's awesome. If you want to be a part of a small group, that's awesome. But open up to somebody. Don't live. Hear my plea. Don't live like this. Man, I'm a strong believer in faith. You know, you hear it all the time here. But I'm also a believer in reality that there's real pain in our lives. And you can't live a life of faith without having pain. And I'm not just saying let's come together and talk about our pain. I'm, not, I'm just saying the healing is in the process of taking the mask off. And when we do that, then other people, you know, somebody's got to be brave and take their mask off. And then when somebody's brave enough to do that, not just to share everything and blubber for everybody, but just to say, hey, you know, this is what, this is what I'm going through right now. Another person, uh, you know, I see that he's or she is having the courage to be open. I'm going to do the same thing. In a technological mammoth of society that we live in, it's amazing how lonely we are. We're more connected technology-wise than we've ever been. And no telling how much this is going to continue. I mean, just think, 10 years ago, you didn't hardly know all of these different social medias and, and the way that we can connect that way. But how lonely are we? How many good, solid friends can we just open up and they're not going to go away from you because you disclose some of your garbage or some of your pain or some of your hurts. But they know and care about you. And you know, they're not even going to talk about you. They're going to go home and pray for you. How many friends can you count on one hand that you've got that have your back? If you don't have some that would fill up your hand, or at least three of them, I encourage you to start developing them. So don't do what David did and go into isolation. And don't guard your heart and not let anybody in to those areas, those details of your life that somebody wants to know, somebody needs to know. You need to tell them. And then you need to listen to somebody else share their hearts, what they're going through. Guys, this is where Christianity is lived out. I, I'm telling you, I've been around this a long time. You can come on a Sunday morning or a weekend service. You can come over and over and over and over and there's a purpose for it, and it's a good purpose because it's teaching. And we got to have the Word of God, right? And I'm all for that. But if somebody doesn't know you and what you're going through, then you cannot grow spiritually the way that God wants you to grow. You'll always have something missed in your life. But if you'll let people reach you, then you'll find out 
Wisdom is flowing to you. Healing is flowing to you. And not just to you, but you're, God's using you to bring wisdom and healing to other people. It's really a fantastic dynamic. couple other thoughts and we'll receive communion. Again, I'm not mad. Just passionate about this, obviously. Autonomy is a myth. Say, well, I'm just going to be to myself. That's, I'm autonomous. I, I don't need other people so much. I just, you know, I can go to the grocery store and buy food. I don't need to grow my own. I don't need to buy from it. I, I, I have autonomy. I don't have these relationships because I have autonomy, because I can make it. That's an American thing. It's not a biblical thing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm all for America. I love America. There's nobody that loves America as much as I do. Or, I, I love, let's say that right. I love America as much as any of them. But it's an American thing to be individualistic. I can't succeed, all that kind of thing. And I, I love all that, and that, that part is biblical, but the part that's not biblical is that I don't need anybody else. On every level, a kid needs another friend. A teen needs other friends. When you're 55, you need other friends. When you're 65 and 85, you need other friends. We need him. And you're looking at a guy that is introverted. I don't make friends easily. And I know how important it is. So don't say, well, I'm an introvert. Well, I am too. <laughs> no, you don't get off that easy. And I had to break through a lot of that stuff. And to put it before you, I still have to break through those things. And it's important that we break through these things and find some friends. Have coffee, group up, what, whatever it takes and start developing. Reach out to people. Show yourself friendly and people will be friendly back to you. Right? Autonomy is a myth. The thing is, we think that we can pull back and be autonomous and not get hurt. And the thing what happens is that I've noticed is that when we're autonomous or we say that we're going to be autonomous... We still have community, but we have community with the wrong people. We'll have community, but we'll have people with we'll have community with people that are not going to build us up. Scripture is very clear that you need to have community. You can have community with anybody out there, and I, I encourage you to reach out, touch people that don't know Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, man, we want to have community with you, and I hope that you would accept our community. But the scripture is very clear that we are to seek community with those that are seeking God. Okay? That's very clear. And if we leave that out, then we have left out God's direction for our life. It's just that clear. I'm being a real good pastor today, right? So here's my question. You know my question. It always turns into five questions. Are you willing to give people who don't work for you, who don't need anything from you, access to you? 
Are you willing to step intentionally, on purpose, because it's your decision, into, and in some cases it'll be uncomfortable, are you willing to step into the community? And will you do it for your own emotional health? Next week, Diane's going to come and share about emotional health. Something that's really overlooked, and I'll just be honest with you, I, I, I overlooked it. I didn't see the importance of it. And she got me on this, some, some help with this, and it's just been helping me like crazy too. Um, but are you willing to give people a chance at that with, with you in your life? Will you do it for your own emotional health? And, and if that's not enough, will you do it for the well-being of the people that need you? Did you hear what I'm saying? Some people need to hear your story. It's not about you when you tell your story. It's about them. They're going to find comfort from your story. The things that God has brought you through, some people need to, it doesn't need to be wasted by you holding up and not sharing it with people. That's why it's so important. So what do we have in these groups? You have Bible study? Yeah, we have Bible study. Do you have discussion? Yeah, we have discussion. You have prayer? Yeah, we have prayer. Do I have to pray? No, you don't have to pray. Do I have to listen to the Bible? No, you can just sit there and Play on your phone. You don't have to do anything. I'm just pleading with you. Give it your best. You know? And, and take the mask off and give your heart. And then let somebody get into your heart too. Make a difference in your life. You'll be healthier emotionally. And when Christ... Last thing. When Christ is the center of all this, He brings a life that is unsurpassed in any other context. It's supernatural. Some person in this setting where, you know, it's, I like to say it like this, and I stole this from Andy Stanley, but he said that circles are better than rows. When you're sitting in circles, and you're face to face, there's some powerful dynamic in Christ at the center. It's just amazing when somebody's talking how the Holy Spirit will use the words of that, that person. Maybe even not what that person says. And will minister something to you exactly what you need that day. Don't miss out on that. This is for you. Hear my heart. This is going to be a blessing to you. If you don't know what that means, a blessing means something good. Well, when I first started, I didn't know what blessing meant. What's blessing? I just don't want to assume that anybody knows all my terminology. So, All right, we're going to receive the elements right now. I have one passage of Scripture I'd like us to read. Uh, and this is all about the same context here. This is all about community. So when we receive communion... We're talking about the community that we have with each other and the community that we have with Christ. And Christ is among us. Jesus is alive in this room, right? And He's moving among us and He's living inside of us. So He's present. He's here. So Luke writes, he says, He took the bread and gave thanks and broke it. 
and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after, he, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. I can't imagine what that must have been like in the Jewish kind. I'm not a Jew, so I, it's, I have to really go there. I have to get there in their shoes. And to see all the blood that was, was, was shed of all these bulls and calves and, and sheep and goats and all the blood. They actually created whole tracks where blood would run off the temple side. Blood everywhere. All the time when there was a sacrifice, blood was just gushing. And then this day when Jesus said this was the change of everything. And he said, you know, no more blood. My blood. Next couple of hours, my blood for you. You don't have to do that anymore because my blood's going to be good for all of us. <laughs> Let's stand and worship him. God, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you that your blood is enough. Oh, God, this isn't negative. It's just reality that we are so... And I know who we are in Christ, but I'm just saying in the natural, we're so insecure. We're so uh, protected and guarded. And yet you came to us and you said you would heal us and you would talk to us and you would guide us and you'd be with us and you'd be our rear guard and you would go ahead of us and prepare the way for us and you would be by our side and you'd be our father and we'd be your children and we'd be your sons and daughters and you said all that and still we struggle with our pain. And I pray, God, that you would minister to us right now as we take the cup, as we take the bread and that we know that it's you inside of us in community with us. And this isn't just playing around. It's just, it's really you. It's you. It's your spirit, God, right now, touching us, ministering to us, helping us, healing us, giving us guidance and direction, and walking with us. Oh, God, be real. Be real right now. In Jesus' name.